Welcome to the CSI Wake Forest podcast, where I will be examining the counselor student experience from the inside out. My name is Pia von Strasser, and I am a current student in the Wake Forest Counseling Program. My hope is to provide insights about the student experience in this program and explore topics related to what it means to become a counselor. I also hope to shed light on pressing topics that are currently impacting the field of counseling and those who seek services. Thank you for joining me and I hope you find whatever it is you're looking for. Today, I'm joined by Ms. Mackenzie Mick, who spoke last episode about her experiences as an elementary and high school counselor in the Winston-Salem Forsyth County School District. She is a second-year graduate student who is on the school counseling track, but will also be receiving her license as a clinical mental health counselor. I am also joined today by Professor Calhoun, who is a professor in the Department of Education at Wake Forest University, and Dr. Erin Binkley, who is a counselor educator through the Wake Forest Department of Counseling and who also works at the Trinity Center doing counseling in the Winston-Salem community. Welcome, Dr. Binkley and Professor Calhoun, to this episode. I'm so excited to have you here with us today. Let's get started and talk a little bit about what brought you to the field of counseling. All right. So, again, counseling has been one of those things where uh, the path isn't always straight. And so uh, when I was uh, starting my professional life, I was actually out in the working world and, and doing things with in the world of finance. And um, I was given the opportunity to help people through a faith-based organization to kind of visit uh, people that were kind of stuck in their place. Uh, they were homebound. And I really enjoyed that aspect of that. And it was not paid. It was just a volunteer kind of opportunity um, to help others and, and be there and be present and be someone to listen. And, and again, it wasn't so much um, something I was seek, seeking or, or knew that was I needed, um, but it was definitely felt like it was a direction that I needed to inquire a little bit more. Um, so I'd known some people had gone through the graduate counseling program at Wake. Uh, I approached, approached them and kind of talked to them about what led them there. Um, some had been in the professional world and, and others had uh, just gone straight out of undergrad into uh, graduate study and counseling. Um, and so that's kind of how I got my start. It was just uh, it just kind of happenstance and, and just kind of exploring that route, getting plugged in. And now, you know, 10 years later, I'm still a professional counselor and, and working in the field of career counseling and, and doing a lot of things with students and grad students and, and just being involved in the Wake Forest community as well as the Winston-Salem community here. That's amazing that you didn't necessarily seek it out. You were just drawn to the profession. And how about you, Dr. Binkley? I think that I have a similarly winding story. Um, I started out as a film major in college, um, you know, in rooms that look much like the one I'm sitting in now, full of cameras and lighting equipment and things like that. And I graduated college and um, had some student debt I wanted to pay off. So I got a job working in a local bank and... After a couple years of being there, one of my coworkers pulled me aside and highlighted for me the fact that every time someone cried in the bank, they sent them to me. <laughs> so if we had someone who'd been turned down for a loan or somebody who was you know, delinquent on their mortgage or about to have a car repossessed or something like that, obviously feelings can run pretty high. And um, I hadn't realized that I was the one who was just managing all of those concerns. But that 
colleague was a person who's still a friend now, and she said, you know, maybe um, a helping profession might be something that you're suited for. It seems like a strength. And I had originally set out to do documentary filmmaking because I wanted to tell people stories and counseling just sort of seemed like a natural way to be able to do that without having to, you know, move to Hollywood and work without a budget kind of a thing. So um, same for me, like decade and change later, here I am still really loving it. That's such a great story. Wow. You were just a natural counselor to begin with. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) And documentary filmmaking, I almost wonder if you could somehow incorporate that into counseling still today. It seems like those would go together really well. Yeah, I think a lot a lot about that, especially when we talk about like narrative type therapies. I think there's so much of counseling that just is telling human interest stories. Um, people need a place to be able to tell their stories and to feel heard and accepted. And then sometimes I also think there is an advocacy piece to counseling that's really important that tends to overlap with some documentary film or even audio podcast type narrative stories as well. Yeah, giving people that space to tell their stories and to be heard is unique to both counseling and documentary filmmaking. Kenzie is with us here today too, but we have already recorded an episode so everyone knows Kenzie's backstory and what brought her to the field of counseling. Do you want to say hi? Yeah, I'll say hi. (laughs) If you didn't listen to my original episode, my name is Kenzie. I'm a second year um, in the Renolda campus cohort. Yep, I also had sort of a weird path to counseling, just happened to have a advisor in undergrad who happened to know someone who happened to go to a program for counseling, um, which ended up pushing me in this direction and sort of away from the neuroscience field of study that I was mostly rooted in. Um, So that's really cool. And thinking about what Dr. Binkley was talking about with sort of the professions that lead to counseling or the interests, we have a peer in our cohort who um, has an undergrad degree in journalism and um, another peer who worked in filmmaking also before. So I think there is a lot of weight to Um, People just have like a natural skill or interest in hearing or learning from other people just are really drawn to the counseling field. Yeah, that's why I love highlighting everyone's backstory before coming into this profession, because it just seems to be so different across the board. Um, I think one of those peers that you were talking about was actually in costume design on the film set, which is really cool. So Kenzie, you had a advisor who is almost like a mentor to you coming into this field then. Can you tell me more about how they influenced you? Yeah. So her name is Dr. Henshaw. She is at Denison University. I had her for a number of classes in my undergrad um, and she had her PhD in clinical psychology. So a little different, but still working more with people. And I think she noticed early on that a lot of my papers that I was writing and my interests within class were based on people and less about the like researchy lab rat type thing, um, which is what a lot of my peers were interested in. So she started me on the path of thinking about maybe going the counseling route, the human route rather than research. Um, And then I had another professor, Dr. Kennedy, also in the psych department at Dennis University, who um, recommended that I look at the WAKE program. And that, I guess, just inspired me. I thought, you know, why not? If I hate it, I hate it. And I don't. (laughs) So that's amazing that that worked out well. And people could read early on that that was 
going to be an area of passion for me that I maybe hadn't identified myself just yet. It sounds like all of these mentors are really instrumental in kind of showing you that part of yourself that was inclined towards helping that maybe you didn't recognize. Yes, they were. And I think that's a great, a great thing in a mentor is someone being able to highlight or reflect back to me stuff that I've already said, but maybe haven't had the full insight of yet. Yeah, just making those things known. How about you, Dr. Binkley or Professor Calhoun? Did you have any mentors coming into this profession? Well, I think, you know, thinking back on when I started my graduate program, it's 2010. It's 11 years ago. Uh, a lot of the, the people that were in the program at the time, uh, Dr. Dr. Donna Henderson, Dr. Sam Gladding, Dr. Debbie Newsom, uh, all instrumental kind of in my development. When, when I entered the graduate program at Wake, I was thinking originally to, to go into clinical mental health. Uh, just based on the experiences that I had, you know, outside in the helping uh, world. Uh, but then, you know, I, I got into a, a, a literacy kind of situation at uh, the local um, elementary school that's not too far away from Wake Forest and the community and had kind of a book buddy situation. And, and that really kind of fired me up about working with children and kind of helping them as, as far as their development and kind of being with Dr. Donna Henderson and just uh, working in, in children counseling and and, and Dr. Sam Gladding, being a, a family counselor, being in some of his videos, we've talked kind of the theme of being in videos. He's had me in a number of his videos. You'll probably see them later at, at some point, but some of them archived, thankfully, uh, away. But yeah, there's there's situations where we play parts in the family and, and being in that situation to provide a, a counselors an idea of what a family therapy situation can be. And I think that's kind of our theme with the podcast and, and what we're trying to start is as you know, tell those stories and and get, and draw people in. Uh, I think anytime you can draw somebody in is is really key. And we know there are helpers out there. We we've all kind of experienced that in our own tracks so far. Um, having these mentors that kind of draw us in and get us inspired and give us that energy and give us that push sometimes because in the helping profession there are up days and there are down days and and they're there to support us on those down days and things like that. And I think that's what you know the mentors that I've encountered both professionally. Um, and then personally has, has been, you know, someone to listen to as well. Uh, I think what we always say is a counselor needs another counselor. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I would echo that. A lot of my early mentors were the same as yours. Um, the faculty that I had in this program as a master's student, I started in 2005. So at that time, it was Dr. Donna Henderson, Dr. Sam Gladding, Dr. Debbie Newsom, and Dr. Laura Veach. And John Anderson as well. Pamela Carr was also teaching some of the um, classes that I took. And all of those people were people that stuck with me, not just through the program, but beyond. You know, they checked in on me after I moved across country to my doctoral program. They came to, you know, conference presentations to make sure they could connect with me, things like that. So I felt really like held and valued in the profession. Um, and just, you know, they really invested in my development as a counseling professional and getting to come back here and work with some of those folks has been really cool and fun. I also have a few amazing mentors from my doc program, Dr. Steve Fight, Dr. Linwood Vereen, a handful of others, Dr. Kleist, Dr. Hill. Um, and same, I mean, those are people that I still keep up with years later and they've really taught me the value of like relationships and professional integrity and things like that. And I think, um, now I just have kind of a view that anybody can be a mentor. It doesn't have to be somebody 
that taught me way back when, although those were sort of the formative mentors for me in my career. But now I think of, you know, I there are students and peers and like younger colleagues who I consider mentors to me as well. I think we can all be in positions of learning things from every person we come in contact with. And I think mentorship can be a multifaceted and like ever-changing construct, I guess. <laughs> um, I really love the idea of mentorship and just collaboration in general. So yeah, lots of strong mentors started me out and I find mentorship everywhere I look now, which feels really lucky. Yeah, that's a great point. I think as counselors, that idea of being lifelong learners also taps into that idea of mentorship and that we can always learn from everyone around us. We can learn from people older or younger than us. Kind of just finding that learning, that mentorship everywhere is really important. And I think that also hints at one of the unique things about our program is just the connectedness and how much the faculty cares about the students and continues to support us. Um, I know in moving back to the West Coast from the on-campus program and transitioning into the online program, all of my professors have still followed me here and still check in with me. And even though they may not be my primary professors anymore, they're still scheduling supervision times with me and checking in with me. And so I may be across the country, but I still feel super supported. I also appreciated the idea of uh, mentorship not being necessarily only vertical like you don't have to look up to someone as a mentor um, we've had a number of instances um, in our cohort this year where people have reached out for support or mentorship from peers um, just sort of reaching out to hand to be like I need some help figuring this out and other people being able to respond I can see that as being a type of like horizontal mentorship or more across the board which has been really helpful and again a very unique part of our program too that I've found yeah, I know it's been important for me, again, with moving to still be able to connect with my cohort and reach out to them all the time. I think I have Kenzie on speed dial, honestly, as a consultation buddy or a mentor. I talk to her all the time about things that are going on in the school, um, advice that I need, and having her there also in this experience at the same time as me is a huge support. So Kenzie and I are both in the schools right now doing our internships. And I think that speaks a little bit to Dr. Cashwell too, as a mentor, as Kenzie and I both came in on the clinical track and had conversations with Dr. Cashwell throughout our development class and ultimately decided to switch over. And here we are now trying to convert everyone to be a school counselor. And we talked about our experiences in the schools in our last episode where we talked about the school internship experience. Um, so Dr. Binkley and Professor Calhoun, what are you currently involved in? Well, the one thing we appreciate you all being storytellers and, and we're trying to be storytellers too with uh, a program that we're involved with with the Office of Community and Civic Engagement here at Wake um, is, is kind of trying in, in part to connect undergraduate and graduate students with the broader community here in Winston-Salem. Um, part of our fellowship, we, we want to tell stories. Uh, you can kind of hear from our backgrounds. We've been involved with storytelling, and it's important uh, to be there and kind of listen and, and hear from people in the community what, what are their needs. And, and that's kind of what we want to do is highlight those needs and, and see what our community can do um, here at Wake for the broader community. Um, so again, it's it's one of those things. Yeah, we, we've been involved with OCCE. I, I did a, a fellowship with Dr. Mark Scholl 
um, doing career counseling for ex-offenders in the in the um, Winston-Salem area. One of the things that we, we did was put together a uh, workshop. It was uh, four kind of steps to help give people the opportunity to tell their story. And I think that's so important so people feel heard. Um, and that's ultimately what our project uh, now is going to be is telling stories so that people can be heard, but also people can reach back or, or kind of be able to volunteer and and see where those paths might lie so we can inspire other helpers as we've all been inspired to, to help. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that workshop. Yeah, so so that workshop was actually started by Dr. Uh, Dr. Scholl. He, he had started while he was at East Carolina University. Um, one of the things that was needed was just help. Uh, recidivism uh, with the ex-offender population is, is high. Um, so we wanted to give the opportunity for people that had criminal records to come in and talk with us, to build up their skills, to be able to have the confidence. I think half the battle is just having confidence to walk into a, a potential employer and say, these are the skills that I've had, have or have acquired. Um, and then also connect them with positive situations that the uh, employers that aren't looking so much for a reason why they have a criminal background, but just to be plugged in and be involved. Again, that's one of the things that we we were strength-based, humanist um, in our focus uh, in having those workshops. The other thing we were mindful of was having them accessible. I think that's the one thing that's good about the community is that we do have a great and robust uh, local library uh, and where we had the workshops and people could come in and, and go to the workshops and learn more about how to develop a resume, how to answer those interview questions, um, how to sell themselves as, you know, capable individuals with a lot of great potential and great skills and great attitude. Uh, and that's one of the things that we, we did with that particular fellowship. Uh, it was probably about two years ago. Yeah. Breaking down those barriers to access is huge. Most definitely. Yeah. And and I know there's been kind of a, a move to kind of ban the box to not disclose background um, related to past offenses so that people can start off on the right foot. Oftentimes, you know, employment leads to housing and housing leads to a better life. And that's kind of what we wanted to do with the participants of our workshops during that ACE Fellowship. Promote that upward cycle. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I've involved Dr. Binkley on this particular iteration of the ACE Fellowship with OCCE just because we both have a desire to get people plugged in uh, to some of the things that are happening in our community now. Again, as we are going through the COVID pandemic, uh, there's a lot of shortfalls that are happening, both communication wise and just the need is ever present for people to be plugged in and, and be heard. And so that's why yeah, Dr. Binkley is, is a great storyteller as well. I wanted to involve her on this project. And yeah, I didn't I've want you to share your thoughts on why this project is important and, and, and why it's storytelling and podcasting. And yeah. Now that y'all have gotten us started on this, I feel like I could talk all day about it. <laughs> I will try not to go on too much of a tangent, but I think since coming into the counselor education profession, I've really struggled to kind of figure out my role as an advocate because I think as a counselor educator, it could be easy to feel removed from your community. You know, we're, training counselors instead of being counselors. I am also a counselor now, but I wasn't through the earlier part of my teaching career. But I've kind of always had my eyes open to see, like, what are the avenues for advocacy through the university that I could be involved in? Um, you know, I may not necessarily have the time to go out and volunteer entire days or lots of hours at a community organization, but like right here at the university, there are just so many resources and avenues for 
all kinds of advocacy work. So I think that's what has gotten me interested in this project. Um, I work part-time as a counselor at an agency downtown called Trinity Center. And Trinity Center has been really instrumental in having a lot of conversations around like what are our roles as like social justice advocates and racial justice advocates as counselors in our community, economic justice, all of those kinds of things. So I've learned a lot there and have been interested in kind of translating, like what could that mean for a university setting? And so I think, you know, Professor Calhoun and I here have been talking a lot about what the role of the university is in its community. And, you know, what does that mean for us here at Wake Forest? What does that mean for any university? Um, because all universities have a place in their communities and they influence their communities. And I think those relationships can be reciprocal as well. So we're hoping to explore, you know, all the many ways that people get involved in the community through the university and sort of what that I don't know, like, what is the responsibility of a person at the university? Like, do we owe our community something? I think there are a lot of questions that can be answered. There's a lot of questions I think about a lot, and I think there are many ways to answer them. And I'm excited to hear a bunch of other people's stories and takes on those things. Those are a lot of big and often unanswered questions. Um, But I'd like to go back really quick to your work at Trinity and just hear more about your perspective of the counselor's role in social justice and advocacy um, for those listening who maybe don't know much of what that looks like. Oh, gosh. I don't know that I'm able to speak about this from an expert perspective at all, but I can share my perspective and maybe the path I've been on with it. I imagine all of you can relate to a model of counseling where we are fairly reflective and neutral and pretty hands-off. I think that's a good starting point, like being able to be the neutral mirror to our clients. But in the last couple of years, particularly with the pandemic and more of a highlight of racial injustice in our communities, I think we've started to see like that isn't always all there is. And, you know, I say this from a perspective of somebody who has a lot of white privilege and So I also want to say, like, I feel a high level of, I don't know, shame and frustration with myself for not having known or embraced some of these things earlier. So, um, you know, I guess now that I'm trying to do different, I'm really in a place of like wanting to learn more about how I can be an advocate. And what that has meant for me the last couple of years has been just really engaging with my clients about the ways that they are experiencing injustice in the world, um, talking more specifically about their relationship with me as a person with white privilege and who has, you know, relative amount of privilege in the world in general, like stable job. I've got some economic privilege there. I have educational privilege. Um, And so what are those dynamics for us in the counseling room? I think having those conversations can be instrumental. Um, But also, you know, what position does that put me in to be able to potentially help a client access change where maybe they don't see pathways to change for themselves? And I also, on the flip side of that, want to be really careful about not, I don't know, stepping into the realm of white saviorism and trying to like create change for my clients or expecting that I know the path forward for them. But I think I'm interested in just having conversations about empowerment and access and 
making myself a part of that. You know, if there are ways that I can be helpful to them or can help them brainstorm a path that they may not have seen, then I want to be there for all of that with full recognition of, I guess, the place that I'm sitting in and how that may influence them and our relationship as well. It's messy work. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing your perspective. It it sounds like that broaching conversation, which we have talked about so much, especially in the past year in the speaker series, last spring semester really opens up the door to kind of look at those nuances and how do we balance advocacy with also stepping back and supporting and kind of falling on those foundational aspects of counseling which were originally taught. Professor Calhoun or Kenzie, do you have any stories you want to share with respect to this topic? I really love the topic of advocacy and social justice. That's been a really important thing for me to think about as a student so far. I also come from a place of a lot of white privilege, a lot of a lot of privilege, just like all of them. And so I think deconstructing that over the past two years has been really helpful. Um, I also tend to come to counseling situations with a, like a more system-wide approach. Bronfen Brenner is my best friend. Um, I love like all things like that, thinking about the hierarchy of needs, like um, all that. So that intertwines really nicely with my passion with social justice and being in a school setting really puts me in the community, which is nice because I don't have to think so hard about moving past the individual that I'm with one-on-one and into the community when they're bringing a lot of the community-based concerns to school. That has not meant that it's any less frustrating to start to see the system. Um, that's, that's, I think, been the hardest part is that now that I have come to um, a growing self-awareness that's continuing, um, I'm seeing things a little bit differently than I had before, which is frustrating, but also good fodder for change making in the future. And I'm very young in the field, not yet really a professional. And so um, as I continue to move into careers and jobs and further education on the road, I really want to hone in on that sort of like systemic advocacy and how we can um, connect the community to the school counseling to the world. Yeah, I think we're, we're all kind of aware. And, and I think the awareness piece is such the, the, the biggest component. And and realizing we do sit with privilege and it does feel like we're at a momentous time in history um, where we can't sit on the sideline anymore. We have to um, be out there and be advocates, understanding from the lens of where we, we are. And I think that's the one reason that we're involved with this project and, and glad to be on today to kind of talk and inspire others to not sit back. Um, we can't. We can't afford to. And I think that's one of the reasons that we kind of want to move forward and, and, and be there to, to talk about the messy issues that are out and present because they're messy and, and to have the dialogue. And um, I think that's the one thing that, that Dr. Binkel and I are trying to do is just have those, those conversations at least and, and get the ball rolling. Um, and, and whether there's a solution or not, it's at least getting the conversation started or continuing the conversation. Yeah, I think with things like this, it's more about, again, the process than the outcome. There's not going to be an outcome unless we start those conversations and get the process going. And it's really important for people like ourselves to be able to acknowledge what's going on, our role in it and our privilege, and then take a look at that and say, okay, here is what's happening. And 
Now what do we do about it? I don't know what the answer will be, but let's at least try something and try to start talking. And maybe through the collaboration of a whole community, then we can get some things really happening. And I think for as often as I'm frustrated and as often as I see the the ginormous picture that is, um, it seems like such a big thing to tackle. There are an equal number of opportunities to do small advocacy things, whether that's like a conversation with a coworker, starting a dialogue with someone you know, um, or providing resources on, on the small scale to one client or one student or um, working with one family rather than um, getting frustrated that you can't work with all of them. That's been a big thing for me to learn is to focus on the things that I can rather than getting hung up on all of the things that I can't change. Because I think as people in the helping profession, we want to help, right? That's why we're here. Um, But we can't change the world as much as we wish we could. So it's looking at the things that we can start with and then knowing that there will be a ripple effect. We just might not see it right away. Or we might not get that immediate gratification of seeing that outcome. So again, that focus on the process and just getting it started is really important. With that being said, Dr. Binkley and Professor Calhoun, would you like to talk about this project that you have been hinting at? So we are really interested in creating a podcast where we talk with various people around the university, students, faculty, staff, anyone here, basically about ways that they are involved in the community. And that might be through formal pathways, like volunteering with a university organization in the community to informal pathways. I think we also just want to hear people's perspectives on what they believe the role of the university is in the community and what their specific role might be, if anything. Um, I think we can't deny that a community is impacted by having a university presence in it and people have perspectives and opinions about the university presence, you know, whether or not the university intends for that to happen. And so I think we're really interested in looking at the human side of things, kind of to what Kenzie, you were saying about, you know, I can't change everything, but I could change little things and I can work with one person and that, matters. And so I think we're interested in looking at like the human pieces that make up a university that we're not just, you know, a gigantic institution like hovering in a city, but it is the institution itself is made up of individuals who are working hard every day to make the community a better place. And we want to hear what those stories are. So we have our little podcast journals and we've got our little guidebooks and things like that. And there's so many ways to approach it. So right now we're sort of in research phases of how do we want to go about trying to hear different voices and different perspectives in a way that can be useful to anyone. I love that idea of highlighting the different individuals in the university community, because I think often the university gets kind of lumped together as one identity and everyone starts to be seen as just whatever identity the school has. And so looking at the different individuals, their perspectives, the work that they're doing, who they are, is really important to highlight that uniqueness. Most definitely. And yeah, we definitely want not, to not be siloed from the community. And, and I think our thoughts around this podcast is not only for be for the Winston-Salem community, but other communities. Um, all of this can, can be a, a conversation starter and, and get people involved. And understand there are different stories to be heard. 
um, and have them, you know, have the opportunity to, to be heard uh, is what one of the things that we're kind of trying to flesh out with this podcast and and be uh, kind of that that place where people can go and, and hear some information about their community. I know Professor Calhoun talked a lot about the Office of Campus and Community Engagement, and we have an ACE fellowship through that office um, working with Shelly Sizemore, and that's going to be funding our podcast. And a few weeks back, we had a meeting with the other ACE fellows where we all came together and we're talking about projects and getting to hear some of the other people's projects was really cool too. And there's a faculty member here on campus, um, Dr. Ryan Shirey, who said something in a great, like a bigger conversation about the role of university and its community that has stuck with me. He said, a university owes its community everything. And I cannot stop thinking about it. And I want it to be something that we can highlight in our podcast because I, I think it's true. I'm really excited to hear all of these different stories. Um, in the research part of this process, has there been anyone that you've talked to so far? I think the good thing about the ACE Fellowship is that we can rely upon on all the former ACE Fellows and current ACE Fellows. And that's the wonderful thing about this is the accountability. You know, it, it's, it's tough to get up and, and try to start something new. Uh, and this is new, and, and we're trying to make sure that we're we're um, telling all the stories that need to be heard, um, but also being open and mindful to change. You know, as as Dr. Binkley mentioned, just having that conversation with Dr. Schreier uh, about what the university owes to the community. Um, I think we want to incorporate all of that, and so it's like uh, getting that strong foundation. We want to have a strong foundation before we launch this podcast, and make sure that we are doing right. And, and doing the things that we need to do to involve others uh, and, and do what the, kind of that mandate, the community being or the university being for good and for all. It definitely takes time to set that up and provide that really strong foundation to launch something new like this. But the topic is really important, especially as, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Wake has a certain reputation within the community that may not be representative of the individuals that actually make up the university. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that we want to highlight is there's, there's more things that people aren't aware that are happening. Kind of the things that we, we've mentioned on the podcast today that we've been involved with in the community that others may not know. And, and that's the one thing we want to do is kind of shine that light on, on the things that are happening with individuals. And it's not just this one kind of like nebulous uh, thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Maybe this happens in many communities, not just in ours, but I think there is often the perception in the community that, I don't know, that a university is like economically above the rest of the community. And I don't know, I don't know if that's how weak is perceived, but I, I kind of hear whispers of that in our community, you know, that we are siloed off, like you said. Um, and I, I mean, I do think that there can be some resentment. I think, um, you know, just automatically people who are learning at a university do have some educational access that not everybody has. Um, but there are also so many members of our university community who aren't here for educational purposes, you know, like all of our staff workers, I think their voices go unheard a lot and they are doing a lot of good on like on our campus, but also in the community as well. And, you know, I think we just want to look at, I don't know, all the ways that people are working in the community on campus that might be more than just, you know, 
taking classes and sitting in a crystal tower and enjoying economic and educational privileges that <laughs> other people don't have because um, there's a lot more there. So we want to look at the nuances of that. I was just going to say that this ties entirely back into our earlier conversation about the different privileges that we hold. I think one of the things that comes up with universities is just educational privilege, um, which often leads to economic privilege and it kind of that ripple effect in a different way, right? And I don't know what your experience has been like, Kenzie, within uh, the school district, but I did find there to be a certain reputation as a Wake Forest student going into the Winston-Salem school district as an intern last year and the different perceptions of a graduate level student coming from our university was maybe not what I expected. Yeah, I experienced, I think, a little bit of like preconceived ideas about maybe what I was going to be like. Um, I'm not from the Winston area originally. I don't have any, I didn't come to Wake Forest with any idea of what it would be like. So I think learning what I look like through other people's eyes has been really interesting. I also think it's interesting now because we're in the heat of college application season is meeting with my students who are um, thinking about where they want to pursue higher ed if they want to um, and sort of the ideas that come up around our local universities and colleges and institutions and the sort of preconceived ideas that the students are bringing with them we've done a lot of unpacking of that so there's definitely a lot of work to be done about like learning, learning about how other people perceive other people and how we can engage with those ideas as a community rather than pitting them against each other. I thought you were going to say something, Professor Calhoun. You like leaned oh, in. No, no. <laughs> I was I'm, just waiting. I'm just for being it. a good, good listener, I, and I and I hear what Kinsey is saying. You know, there there's all these expectations. Even um, when I was a, a student, just walking into a school and and having these expectations um, that you didn't even know that they had, or, or they had a, a, a you know, they didn't see uh, beneath the cover of who we are as people, uh, where we're from, what what lens we, we look at, and what perspective and and values that we hold. Um, yeah, most most people when I went into to the school counseling situation thought I was the principal or an administration, and I was not. I was there for kind of the mental health of the the community and the school, and and those are the things that you have to kind of tell your story. And and I think that's you know kind of what we're doing today is kind of letting people know more about us and and where we come from and and what we what we can do uh, together. Yeah. I think the school is honestly a great place to start with telling stories. Every person involved in that system has come there for a different reason, has different expectations of, you know, what's going to happen, has different goals. And so when you look at that system and you look at Brough and Brenner, like Kenny, Kenzie said, and all the different needs um, it's just a really interesting place to start with telling those stories. And when I look at all of my students, their stories are just all so incredibly different and all different from my own and that of my classmates and that of my professors. And I think when you really start to break it down, it's just so interesting and it tells such a different story than one might expect. Now, I love to to talk to people and learn more about their stories because it's so I, I love to hear where, where people are from and the different threads that, that make up our fabric of our communities. You know, it's 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 really special. And I, I again, I, I like talking to people even outside. I don't even tell them I'm a counselor or whatnot. And they'll just kind of open up and get, uh, 
kind of share their, their innermost thoughts and, and things. And, and it's, it's good, you know, and I, I like that perspective of understanding who people are and what, who they, who they can be. Um, yeah, I think it's why we're in the helping profession. We, we like to listen and we like to hear and, and people will talk when you, when you're there and when you're present. So. I love that your chosen modality too is podcast because I, I never, was into them for like the vast majority of my life. I started listening to podcasts a little bit in college and then the pandemic happened. Um, and so many things were happening in our world sort of simultaneously. And I found myself listening to more and more podcasts of all kinds. I, especially this American life. I don't know if anybody's heard of that one or listened oh, yeah. to that one. Good. A good one. Um, but that, that podcast does the same sort of thing where they uh, just look at different, but unique stories that you wouldn't hear unless you had listened to that episode um, and that broadens your view. Even if you just listen to 20 or so minutes, you're learning about someone who might be an entirely different place of life than you are. Um, and so the like ease of listening to a podcast and being able to absorb all this information from someone um, entirely new to you is really awesome. So love it. Got to say, very excited for you guys. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, glad to be with you guys too. Cause yeah, this, the storytelling you're doing on this as well is highlighting a lot of things that that people wouldn't know about until you put it on audio track and, and, and people are listening. And like you said, can't see, you know, whether they're listening for two minutes or 10 minutes, it's yeah, they're, they're getting something from it. So. Kenzie, you recommended the podcast that I'm currently into the South Lake podcast, <laughs> which is an amazing podcast about kind of a racial reckoning in a Texas town. Um, and it starts in a school system. It's a great listen. If anybody out there needs a podcast. If anyone needs podcast recommendations in general, they should reach out to Kenzie. The first podcast I ever listened to was right before we started this program. Um, in the height of COVID, like you mentioned, I was finding that I did not know what to do with my time. And Kenzie sent to our cohort a bunch of different counseling podcasts so that we could prep ourselves for what our first basic skills class would be like. And I found myself going on my hour long walks every day because I didn't know what else to do with my time listening to Kenzie's podcast. And then when we got into our first internship, Kenzie sent, remind me what it was. It was that school, public school, New York podcast. I can't remember, but it was so interesting, like five episodes. And it just highlighted, honestly, so many things that we talk about today. What was it called? The podcast is called Nice White Parent. Yep. Also a good, good listen. Also starts in the school system. So for all your podcast needs, reach out to Kenzie. Well, thank you all for joining me today. It's been great to talk. And I am so excited for when your research phase ends and your podcast phase begins. I want to hear all of these stories. Now, we hope to have you all on as guests in the near future as well, because we want to kind of follow up and, and see how, how graduate school is going and, and just, yeah, your perspective on things as we progress. I think one of the most exciting things for me about this project and, you know, having the support to do this project is just what you said about hearing people's stories. Um, as faculty, we often find ourselves in the role of information giving and needing to, you know, know our topics really well, but we don't often have just sort of the natural means to step outside of our bubbles and 
I feel like this will be one of those ways in which I kind of get to be a student of other people again, like to get to hear what their stories are all about and what their lives are like, where I have the opportunity to just sit back and listen. And I have no idea how it's going to go or what we're going to hear. And that part is really exciting to me.